This is a message by Pastor Mark Fox at Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. For more information about the church, go to antiochchurchnc.org. Great time of worship as a congregational singing. We're going to continue our worship now through the preaching of the Word. And our text today is 1 Peter verses 13 through 21 as we make our way through uh, this book. Chapter 1, yep, sorry, chapter 1, 13 through 21. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you to is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time of exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Thank you, Jeremy, and thank you, worship team, Caleb and team. Uh, as I said last week, we have more of the First Peter journals. If you need a strip, scripture journal, it has a text on one side of First Peter and then a blank page on the other for, for taking notes. I bought some more. There's about 12 of them on the credenza in the foyer. So if you need to slip out and grab one of those right now, you can. So in training camps all over the country, uh, there are football teams, college and NFL, who are training Right? Why are they training? They're gathered for one reason, to get ready for a season that they hope will end with a championship. That's right. Lots of victories and a championship. Everybody on those fields want to have a championship. Their, their players have their hopes set on future victory. Right? And, and, and they're, they, they're willing to put in the hard work to get to future victory. At least that's what the coach wants them to do. And that's why the coach chose them. He recruited them to come and play on his team for future victory. And he knows as a coach that half the battle for those guys is between their ears, right? These guys are huge specimens of athleticism. And yet if they don't understand what they're supposed to do, when they're supposed to do it, the team's going to fail no matter how big and brawny they are. So a lot of it is get it in your heads, guys, and we might actually win some games. Hey, followers of Jesus, our training camp is not just in the summer. Come on, that's for wimps. Our training camp is year-round, and we have been chosen. And the one who is our coach doesn't just stand with us. He lives in us, and he has called us to, and he has promised us future victory. That's good news for us, isn't it? But Paul said, using a running metaphor, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it, right? 
all of those who belong to Jesus will receive the prize because we're Jesus, but, but we need to run as though we want to win. We need to walk in obedience to Christ. And that's what this text is all about. Paul goes on to say in that, in that passage, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, these runners, in the Isthmus games back in the day when Paul was around. Right, if you won the 100-meter dash back then, you got a, a wreath of celery to put on your head. Wouldn't that be fun? He says, but you, for an imperishable. Peter's writing to elect exiles, people who are following Jesus, who are living in a strange world. They are strangers. They're passing through. They're sojourners as we are. So he's writing this letter not just to them, but to us, all who follow Christ. He celebrated in the first section we've talked about and Scott preached on the glorious wonders of our salvation, the indescribable inheritance that awaits us in heaven, right? He told them that their suffering, like Christ's suffering, is purposeful and powerful because it will precede glory. And then he says, we come to this text today, and what does this text start with? What word? Therefore, he says, therefore, we always have to ask, what have I told you before? What is the, <laughs> the therefore, listen, the therefore, therefore here points back to Christ. It points back to Christ and who we are in Christ and what he has done for us and what he is doing in us. Those are called the indicatives. The indicatives are settled. They are settled truth. This is who we are. Paul's told, Peter's told us that in the first section. Here's who Jesus is, what he's done. Here's who you are. Those are the indicatives. And now the therefore points forward to the imperatives. These are the things he's calling us to do in him, for him, for his glory. Now, guys, we can't get those mixed up. Because unless it is settled, we, unless we know the things that are done in Christ, there's no hope for us to do in Christ, right? Unless we ha have, have our standing in Him and we know Him and He saved us, then all of this religious activity of trying to do stuff for Him is all that is, is religious activity. And so he says, no, because of Christ, because you are His, because He's living in you, because you have future victory promised to you, then here's how you are to live this side of that glorious day. So what does is, what is Peter tell us electa exiles to do? I love this. He starts with, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, hey, hey, exiles, here's the first thing, preeminent thing. Set your hope fully on that grace that will be revealed to you. When Christ returns. So training camp is hard, but the victory is worth it. And for the, for the believer, victory is as certain as tomorrow's sunrise. And if we forget that, if we forget that future grace is coming, then in the battle for holiness, we can get weary. We can even give up. We can say it's not worth it. I'm out. I'll sit on the bench for a, for a while or I'll even leave the team. And many do that. And we start to look around at lesser goals that the world offers and we, and, and, and we miss the abundant life because we've traded it in for making mud pies. So how do we get our hope 
set fully on the grace of that day. How do we live by that, by that, with that vision every single day? Well, Peter tells us. Let's look at this text today in our three main points. Prepare your mind. Don't look back. Call on daddy. All right, number one, prepare your mind. Peter starts with, therefore, preparing your minds for action. You know that phrase could literally be translated, gird up the loins of your mind. And that was a vision that these guys would understand, a picture, a word picture they would understand because in those days, the the men wore long robes. And if those men were soldiers and they were called into battle, what did they have to do? They had to gird up those those robes, gird up their loins. They would wrap those robes around their waist so they could run, so their legs could move quickly. If they did not do that, they ended up looking pretty silly and dying pretty quickly. You ever seen anybody run a race? You know, if you've run a a race, a 5K, 10K, whatever, have you ever seen anybody running a race at a full-length heavy parka? You know, or these big, tall rubber boots that you do, yeah, you do fishing in, right? Waders. Anybody running waders? Or how about the pants that are about four sizes too big and you got to, you know, continually be pulling them up as you run because you don't want them to fall around your ankles in your trip. Nobody runs a race like that. We gird up, we wear as little as possible, right, when we run so that our, our legs are not hindered in any way. So if the believer is, he says, gird up the loins of your mind, you're right, prepare your mind. If the battle is first won in the mind, how do we set our hope fully on future grace? Well, the writer of Hebrews says this, he says, let us then therefore lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. So in order to set our hope fully on future grace, we need to deal right now with present sin. That's what Hebrews is saying here. That's what 1 Peter is saying here. We have to deal with sin. Remember when you were first saved? Right? And and what did you do? When you were first saved, if you were like me, you tried to immediately stop the obvious sins, right? For me, my vocabulary changed pretty quickly. Because even as a brand new, newborn babe in Christ, I understood that the words I was saying were not pleasing to the Lord, and they certainly weren't pleasing to people around me. But, you know, as, as you grew in your desire to love Jesus well and, 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 you, and to be holy and, and you studied the word, you saw that that sin was not just an external thing. It was not just using the Lord's name in vain or taking his name in vain or, or taking something that didn't belong to you. What you realize, you, you, you came to understand that, that we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. <laughs> we begin to see that very quickly, right? And then we understand that what Jeremiah meant when he said the heart is what? Deceitful and wicked above all things. Who could know it? Because before the world was telling us, trust your heart, man. Just just go with your heart. Whatever your heart desires, that's that's good. And then we become a Christian and God changes our point of view. and, And we start to grow in Christ and in his word. And we realize, no, my heart's a liar. My heart's telling me all kinds of stuff that's not true. And so then you have to deal with that. In fact, what we start seeing is that sin starts with desire. Now, a desire is not a sin, but that's the beginning point. James James said it like this. Each person is tempted 
when he is lured, and the word there is used, it's a trap word, right? Like you're going to ensnare a rabbit. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. And then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And this is the scary part. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. You know, as a young boy, I remember this week, and I hadn't thought about this in a long time. I don't know how old I was, 10, 12, and I had walked down to the Ben Franklin store. Anybody remember a Ben Franklin store when you were growing up? Anybody have those besides me? Yeah. So I walked in the Ben Franklin store, and I was just kind of, you know, messing around. didn't have any, any, anything to do there except I saw candy bars, and I desired that candy bar, <laughs> and I had zero money. So my desire gave birth to sin. I put that candy bar in my pocket, and I walked out the front door. And I'm, I thank God that the manager saw me do it. And he followed me out, and he stopped me. He apprehended me. And I tell you what, sin that day didn't lead to death, but the shame and, and the, the, the humility that I, humiliation that I felt when he told me what I had done and told me why I should never do that again, that scared me straight, man. I never, ever stole something from a store that, that wasn't mine, right? So, so sin has to be dealt with. That sin uh, that, sin that Paul's ta- Peter's talking about here, he says we need to be sober-minded in order to prepare our, our minds for action. A sober-minded person is clear in his thinking. He may still desire the candy bar, but if he's sober-minded, he's thinking, you know, the word, then he will, his mind will tell him, his heart will tell him, his spirit will tell him if he's born again, you can't have that candy bar. You don't, you, don't, you don't have any money, right? That belongs to the store. You'd be stealing from the owner of this place. That's a sober mind. You know, drunkenness removes clear thinking and makes someone a danger to himself and to others. I have a good friend whose oldest son was killed by a drunk driver about five years ago. Had just had a baby girl, just first baby in the family, first child. And he was driving home from work at 5 o'clock in the morning and got across the median and hit him head on. So drunkenness removes clear thinking. Spiritual drunkenness could also be deadly. I love this quote by Edmund Clowney. He said, The hallucinations of spiritual drunkenness are not amusing peak elephants, but devouring monsters. The ideologies of political oppression, the fantasies of sexual lust, the jealous hatreds of personal spite. So Peter urges his readers with sober watchfulness that acknowledges the deadliness of sin and the foolishness of living life on your own terms. And to choose a life that's filled with joy and have great hope and future grace. Now, notice that Peter says, set your hope fully, my emphasis. Why does he use that adverb there? Set your hope fully on the grace that is brought that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I think he includes fully because he knows that there's a great temptation for believers to play the middle. Right? I, I want to have one foot in the church and in God and in the Bible and in faith, but man, I, I can't miss out on this over here. I, I'm going to have my other foot over in the things of the world. I love this quote from Jen Wilkins. She said, we're prone to placing our hope on our own good deeds or on a spouse or our children or on a pastor or, God forbid, a president. 
We may place it on a bank account or a career or even the size of our social media accounts. (laughs) We tell ourselves that we hope in Christ, but what we mean is that we hope in Christ and blank. Guys, sitting on the fence is painful, especially if it's a barbed wire fence. But just imagine sitting on a fence as a Christian, trying to live with one foot for Christ and one foot for whatever I want to do, my terms, my life. Don't tell me what to do in my life. You know, leave my life alone. You know, one of the reasons, I remember when I became a Christian at 15, one of the reasons that kids my age were saying when we were trying to witness to them, they didn't want to be, become a Christian was because, man, I, I'm not going to become one of you boring Christians and leave all this fun stuff, uh, you know, over here. And those of you who know... Uh, that that's such a poor representation of what it means to be uh, a Christian is that the fun people are the sinners and the dull people and the boring people are the saints. We're not gonna, I'm not going to take time to preach that sermon, but, um, but we, we know what Jesus said. He said that we are to store up treasures where? In heaven. He also said, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The paradox here, if you lose your life, you give up your life, you take your life out of your own hands and give it to Jesus, you don't lose your life, you save it. You say, that's when you have life. And he says, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Listen, the people that Peter was writing to were living under persecution in the Roman Empire. They were facing the possibility every day of losing everything they had. They were fully, fully in on future grace. They were all about it. We must be as well. When we give ourselves to Jesus, the certainty of our hope in future grace has a powerful powerful effect of how we live every day. Remember somebody who said several years ago, live each day in light of that day. Well, let's prepare our minds for action. Second two points are not as long. Second point, don't look back. Don't look back. You can't run a race looking back, right? Josh Bainbridge here. Yeah, Josh is a runner. He's a runner up at Indiana Wesleyan. So can you run a, a race, Josh, looking behind you, see all everybody behind you? No, you're going to lose, right? I remember this movie years ago. It was in the 70s about a cross-country car race, and there was an Italian driver, and so he got into the car with his racing partner, and he says, now, my friend, the first rule of Italian driving, and he took off the rearview mirror, and he chunked it out the window. He says, what's up behind me? doesn't matter. Well, Peter says it this way, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. In other words, don't look back and certainly don't go back because that was ignorance and that was death, right? This is the second imperative. Don't slide back into your past. You and I were formerly hollow men and women and now we are filled with the spirit of the living Christ. We were dead and enslaved and now we're alive and free. We sung about it this morning. We're free to serve the Lord. Look, when we were without Christ, what was customary seemed normal and what was normal seemed right. Right? 
And then Jesus came (laughs) walking by. He saw us. He spoke to us. He saved us. And he turned our world upside down. Before he came along, we... We, 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 were under, we thought what was, was thrilling, and now we, think, we see that it was killing us. We had been legion. We were legion. We were living in the cemetery. We were cutting ourselves with stones. We were crying out night and day in our misery. Jesus came and with a word delivered us and turned our world upside right, right, you know, right. Before Christ, we were Matthew the tax collector, perhaps, rich in all the world's goods and despised by everybody, and maybe even ourselves. And Jesus walked by, and he called us to come and follow him, and and everything in us changed. The money we thought we had really had us, and now we're filthy rich in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. Would Legion ever go back to the graveyard? Did he ever consider that? No. Would Matthew ever go back to the misery of his former life? No. No. See, what people don't understand who, who, who make that claim, you know, I'm not going to follow Jesus because that's, that's not a fun life. That's not a, they don't understand that, that the, the enemy, if you're not following Jesus, you're a child of the enemy. And the enemy came, Jesus said, to steal and to kill and to destroy. But he said, but I came that you might have life and have it what? Abundantly. Abundantly. And in the presence of Jesus, there is joy. Joy evermore. Peter said this then, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it's written from in Leviticus twice, you shall be holy. I love that because the Son of God became the model for the pattern of life we're supposed to live. He's not telling us to do something he's not doing himself. Hey, as I am holy... So you also are to be holy. He calls us to, tells us to pursue holiness. And the word for holy, listen, says, this is important. The word for holy means set apart. It doesn't mean perfect. <laughs> right? If it meant perfect, that would be soul crushing for us, wouldn't it? Because we cannot and we will not be perfect, not this side of the veil. No, our Father loves us, and He's calling us to live the most joyful life we could possibly imagine, a life of knowing Him more and more day by day, becoming more and more like Him and less like the world, and not looking back to our former worldliness, but moving forward in our pursuit of holiness. Not worldly, but holy. Daniel Doriani wrote, We are strongest when we know how to separate from worldliness while staying engaged with the world. The Bible says we are in the world, but we're not of the world. And I love what Elizabeth Elliot said. The secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances, right? So I can live in the world. I don't have to be removed from the world. I can live in the world, but Christ is in me. And so he's causing me to be different than I was before by the power of his Holy Spirit working in our lives. Christ in me, hope of glory. And saints, this is a community of faith project. That's why we need the body of Christ. Not a single person in here, I don't care who you are, none, none of us, not one, can grow in holiness 
without the help of the body of Christ. So I praise God for the gospel community that we have here. So as you set your hope fully on future grace, right, let's also do this. Call on Daddy. Verses 17 through 19 starts off, if you call on Him as Father. Now look, I know that, that there are daddy wounds. There are people who struggle with God being a father because their earthly father was not a good father And so I'm not sure I really want to connect myself with some other father out there with the experience that I've had with my father. Let me tell you, our father, our heavenly father is perfect and he loves you perfectly and he accepts you perfectly into his family through faith in Jesus Christ. So Peter says, if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, then you must Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. That word fear does not mean you're afraid of God. It means reverential awe. It means reverential desire to, to, to know Him better, to walk with Him, to be obedient to Him. You know, the teaching on God's final judgment of mankind, I think, is one of the most misunderstood teachings in the, in the church universal. Listen, we believers have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? The judgment that was due to us, that we deserved every ounce of it, was paid for in full by Jesus Christ. But there's a belief among whole sections of Christianity, and maybe somebody here still struggles with this, that that the final verdict on our lives is still hanging in the balance. Right? I mean, it was, yeah, partly paid for by the death of, of, of Jesus but the rest of us, really, it really depends on me. It depends on my good works. Remember, you guys who are old enough to remember layaway plans, they don't, they don't do that anymore, do they? <laughs> layaway plans, right? You try to buy a sofa, and you don't, got, you don't have enough money for that. Sofa's like $500 back in the day, thousands now. But you, you got $50, and so you give them the $50, and you come in there the next month, you give them $50 more, and about 10 months of that, you know, when you get the 250 they don't cut the sofa in half and give you half of it and let you take it home, do they? You got to pay that last payment before that sofa leaves that store and you get to sit on that sofa in your house. Just imagine Jesus going to heaven from the cross after he's been raised from the dead. He says, all right, Father, I, I got him almost to the finish line. All right? I, I did my part. I, I, I did most of it. Now it's really up to them. They're going to really have to work hard. They're going to really have to struggle to push over that finish line. And everybody said, no. Can you say it with, like you mean it? No. <laughs> wow, we need to work on that. No, no. He, he paid all. That's why Peter says, conduct yourselves with reverent obedience to the Lord. Why? Knowing knowing that you were ransomed, you were bought back, not with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a a pure and spotless lamb, the lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. It's finished. Because of that, God will look at Christ and see us in Him, and He will look at us and see Christ in us. We, We sang today, the blood will plead our innocence. Isn't that right? Yeah. Lorinda, when you stand there before God, Jesus is going to say, 
hey, Father, she's, she's mine. I, pay, I paid for her. I died for her. So there will be rewards. There will be judgment for Christians, but it's simply a day of recognizing the good deeds that we've done as testimonies to our faithfulness. But listen, the faithfulness of doing good on this side of the veil was always powered by grace. Everything we did was that we do is by grace. In the Westminster Confession, it says something like, do any, are any of our works good you know, in and of themselves? And, and the answer is no. Everything we do has an impureness to it because we're still in the flesh, we're still in sin, but because we're, we're, we belong to Jesus, by His grace we're able to do, to do good and we will be rewarded in heaven for that. But if you read Matthew 7, there's a horrifying passage. The Lord, those who claim to know Him but were unfaithful, the Lord will expose the foolishness of their hypocritical confession. He will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The last few verses, look at the last few verses that Jeremy read today. Verse 20, he was foreknown. Christ was foreknown before the foundation of the world. The plan for salvation was in effect before God created anything, but was made manifest. We saw him in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. I love that. The last phrase. So your faith and your hope are in God. Peter started with set set your hope fully on the grace that's coming, future grace. And then he says, and your faith and your hope are in God. So by God's grace, let's live, saints, for the one who died for us. Let's pray. Why don't you take a moment and just in the quietness of your own hearts, think about the truth of what Jesus has done for you on the cross, being raised from the dead. Think of him calling you to follow him and calling you to be holy as he is holy. And maybe there's something you need to ask him or something you need to confess to him. But just talk to Jesus now in your heart for just a moment. Father, we're so thankful this morning again to be reminded of the truth of the gospel. That your grace is for those who will receive it and lay down their lives, their future plans, their will, their mind all of those things and and ask you to fill them and to change their thinking, to change our hearts, to change the future direction of our life so that it will be pleasing to you, knowing that that will be the most joyful life imaginable and there's future victory that is certain. Lord, we're thankful for that. There's no way that we could earn anything like that. We simply receive the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ by faith today. Continue to shape us and mold us and equip us to live this life in such a way that your name is glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message. Antioch meets every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at 1600 Powerline Road in Elon, North Carolina. For more information about Mark and the books he's written, go to jmarkfox.com.